Welcome to the Kids Like You and Me podcast. We're here with Eric Bailey's of Bailey's Band, Mini Beast, Bad Motherfucker, Temple of Bar Mating, Club Math, and author of Heroin's Rainbow. How's it going, Eric? How you doing? Hi, good. Pretty good. How you guys doing? Yeah, doing all right now that we're talking with Eric. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we were talking the other night, and we were saying how you're addicted to shows. It's a, not a bad yes. thing to be addicted to. Uh, I mean, yeah, you just played in so many bands and and still uh, playing a ton of shows. How how many shows do you think, like pre-COVID, were you playing like on a on a monthly basis? Well, I think, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it varies year to year, you know, right. like, uh, a, a little before COVID maybe, you know, I, I have to work like nine months yeah. of the year, whatever I work in a school. So I get all kinds of vacations and stuff. So, right. um, and I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be, but there were, t- you know, there were times where, you know, I've, I'm usually in more than one band at once and off and on, I've done like solo things. So sometimes I play three or four times a week, not even, not even on tour, but just three or four times a week, right. Boston, Providence, maybe New York, come home, still go to work. So, you know, four times a week, that's two, that's 200 shows a year. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then there's been the times of years where I had a girlfriend where I'd like to kind of, there's a little pressure to cut, kind of cut it down to a more reasonable thing a little bit, you know? Um, but you know, I've estimated I've played about four thousand shows in my life, Damn. which is which is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. You keep track. Well, of depending them all who you somewhere? talk to, I suppose. No, I wish I did because I see, um, I, I I see things like Jim Cornette is a wrestling manager. Oh yeah, guy, and he he always kept and like Mick Foley, they kept the thing of like every show every everything they ever did, how much they got paid, what hotel they stayed at. And I think like, uh, like some of the guys from Rolling Stones, maybe Charlie Watts did that. Like, of course it's, you can't compare it to that, but I, I wish I did because I really, it's really hard to pin down, you know? Yeah, definitely. And bands, and bands were played with and stuff, you know? You do have a pretty amazing resume though. You played with Per, per Ubu, right? Lightning Bolt. Wire, uh, Ralph Nader, Shalak. Uh, the list goes on, right? You played with Macaulay Culkin, as we know from the song that Macaulay Culkin stole your phone. He did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, what's the, a little bit, I, I'm sure you've been asked this much, Chad. What's like the story behind that? Uh, I love that song, but I, uh, I don't know if well, I paid attention close enough to the lyrics. What's, what's the scoop? The story is actually kind of apocryphal because uh, we played the 20th anniversary of Bailey's Band right. at the Met Cafe outside of Providence with uh, Macaulay Culkin, the piece on the ground. Um, I knew someone I knew someone that played a show with them at a, at a kid's cellar in New Jersey. And I was like, and I got in touch and I was like, hey, wait a minute. How, how how did that go? Because they were like they were like a brand new entity, right? So I was like, how, do you know how to get in touch with them? You know, because like they couldn't have been t- even if you know you play a lot of these house shows, warehouse yeah. shows, and it's like they pass the hat, and sometimes the hat gets lost or the hat's not very deep, you know. And like they couldn't have made because I had been to that that place, and I was like they couldn't have made more than like one hundred fifty dollars. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, yeah. He must be just doing this, must be just doing this for fun. So, uh, so anyway, so I got in touch with him. I set up the show and it was girl across, uh, Bailey's band, 20th anniversary, my good friend, six star general and, uh, the pizza underground. Wow. So anyway, they, we play and then they're obviously they're the headliner, you know, so they're playing. I left my phone up on an amp, but I didn't want to interrupt, you know, Macaulay or Mr. Culkin, you know, if you're nasty. So, <laughs> uh, they're done playing. I go up and my phone is gone. It probably vibrated off. It went behind the stage, underneath the cracks or something. But that doesn't make for a good song. 
or a good story. So I was yeah. just like, that that damn Macaulay Culkin stole my phone. <laughs> something he would do. And we got a lot of laughs. And we got a lot of laughs and uh, and some T-shirts out of that. So we got the last laugh, I guess. Yeah. He was actually, he was actually really nice. It was weird because we pulled up. I'm usually the first one every show ever I play at. And uh, I'm not a good parallel parker, so I was one of those who light up. And I usually have like a big station wagon or something. So we rolled up, and he looked so lonely just sitting there by himself. This rich guy went out with like Mila Kunis, and here he is just sitting by himself, thin, dirty looking, you know. And uh, it was a really fun show. It was funny. They made me buy the pizzas. It was part of the agreement. I had to buy the pizzas to hand out for the audience for Pizza Underground. And wow. then they were kind of mad. Be- they were kind of mad because it was Easter Sunday oh, in yeah, Providence, yeah. one of the most Catholic cities, you know, in America. So they were kind of cold. So they were kind of mad at that. And then it was Easter, but it also was April 20, which right. apparently my my sources tell me is 420, which is some kind of double meaning. Whoa, what a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, it's funny because on stage they kept saying like, oh, 420, light it up and all this stuff like that. But they ratted us out for smoking in the dressing room adjacent to them. So I thought that was kind of weird. Ah, damn it. You know? <laughs> but it it was fun. You know, we usually played about, uh, you know, we have eight people in the band now. We usually played about nine people. Us wow. and the bartender. So there, so there was like a lot of people there. So it was, you know, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What was the story behind you? You played with playing with Ralph Nader. Um, it was just uh, you know, he was he ran for president a couple of times. Sure, yeah. And so they uh, you know, they had some fundraisers, and it was weird because it was just really, really odd bills. You know, it was like thrash bands and like noise bands, and and uh, you know, they were all ages. So there was like little kids there. There were people that were, like eighty years old who had been like back in Ralph Nader when he was fighting like the Ford corporation or whatever. So he seemed nice. I voted for him. Yeah. I voted for him he, in 2008. He was one of my favorite, uh, the candidates before Bernie Sanders and Dennis Kucinich. Uh, you yeah. Know? yeah. Right. I forgot about the guy. Um, yeah, cool. uh, Bailey's band has been an institution for, like you said, over 20 years. Uh, yeah. uh, so, but even like before that, though, because you were saying the other day when we talked to you, you've been booking shows or playing shows for like 38 years. Uh huh. Yes. Were you doing that back in as a teenager playing in New Bedford, or are you getting outside of New Bedford? Uh, I was 17. Mm. Uh, playing in my first band. We basically played like New Bedford Providence the first first like three years. It took a little while to get going. But I was in a band called Brain Farm, which in retrospect now would have probably been called like a noise rock band. We, would, we, uh, we did shows and stuff and we recorded all improv. We didn't have, we never had any songs. We tried doing songs after a few years and it just didn't kind of feel right, you know? Mm. So it was a kind of a cross between like Velvet Underground, which had been doing that for many years, and uh, Sonic Youth kind of thing, you know? But uh, all improv. So it didn't go over too well. But it was a good way, it was a good way to uh, kind of learn about music. Right. And you uh, how, to, how to be in a band. Okay, yeah. Get, were you cool. playing at bars or were there like, were there like, Things like any like sort of underground, like a house show kind of thing at that time. There kind of was at Providence, but we were just kind of, you know, there was no internet yet. So we just kind of, it took a while to learn about that and expand into Boston and Providence. So we, we tried to play in uh, New Bedford with like any of the bands that weren't like metal bands or just regular cover bands, you know? Yeah. yeah. That was the predominant thing back then. Well, Still now, I guess, metal and yeah, cover bands yeah. in the Bedford. Yeah. 
even yeah, just in general, I feel like that's still when you think about it, really, it's like there's definitely lots of stuff, but you think of like we're probably live music as a whole, it's still people are probably mostly seeing cover bands. I mean, you, you know, when you think about it, but because you know, there's just but there's so many other bands, you know, probably a lot more now, or I don't know, <laughs> but um, I don't know, it's a whole different world. I try to stay out of it, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, I guess, uh, where's it going to go? Oh, it's like, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by New Bedford. You know, we've, we've only been a handful of times, but it just, it has like a sort of vibe to it. And you've been there. You were, you're a New Bedford native. Yes. Yes. So do you feel that way since you've, I mean, I know, I know you've moved around a little bit, you've traveled, but having lived there for so much of your life, is there something that keeps, keeps you there in, in New Bedford? Well, well, right now it's uh, my job. Right. Um, I, I have, you know, you know, an easy job. I get out of work early. I could take a, I could take a nap and then go play a show in Providence or Connecticut, get home at four in the morning and still go to work and not use all my sick days. Um, you know, it's really cheap living down here and I'm from here. So that's where I am. But if I had an opportunity to like go, uh, live in Amsterdam and be part of a touring band or Tokyo for a few years, three, four years, you know, I would do that. Mm. so it's a good uh i think it's a good place if you if you're going to tour or something it's do a lot of touring i think it's good to be in like a smaller out of the way place maybe where the rent is cheap and stuff but still be like a comfortable drive like for me it's still a comfortable drive to boston yeah providence new, new london hartford new haven in New York City, and then maybe you know, Philly. Philly is like, all right, I probably have to take the day out of work if I play in Philly, you know. But, but not too bad, you know. Wow, and if so you're not gonna, if you're not gonna tour, I suggest people stay very close to a big city where there's a lot of action. Philly, New York, Boston, you know. Yeah. Was there a lot of um, activity in the smaller? cities and towns in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, uh, Connecticut, other than the big names that you play shows at? Well, sometimes, sometimes one person or one band is kind of the engine that drives a whole scene in smaller places. And when they have kids or move on or whatever the case might be, sometimes it dries up, you know, but, there's always pockets of resistance, you know, like there's like smaller towns that you wouldn't expect much. And it's like something cool going on there. And then maybe they'll fade out for a while. And then, but with places like Amherst, there's just always something going on with the college town or whatever, you know, or Boston is always going to be something going on. But we've, we've played, you know, like touring, it's, it's weird. You, you, it's like, Oh, we're playing big city, big city, big city. Oh, I've never even heard of this city in Iowa. Oh boy. I don't even know if it's a city. This is a town. There's 30,000 people there, but because hardly any bands go through these towns, sometimes everybody that's like into kind of music or like even people that aren't working at the music, they're just young looking for something to do, go out, you know? Yeah. So it's it's not always like that. Right. No, that's interesting <laughs> though. Cause yeah, that, that actually seems even like more in some ways, even more appealing to me that, you, you know, some of the smaller towns and then go to like, go there. And then there's a bunch of people that are really enthusiastic about the show. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> like I do, uh, you know, I play in like some rock bands and sometimes the bands are a little noisier. And then I also do like solo stuff. That's uh, vocal looping sort of comedy maybe. And, uh, but sometimes just more noisy with a lot of Mook synthesizers and stuff. And, you know, like Laconia, is a really small place and there's like a real, you know cool scene up there some guys oh, really? keep it going up there yeah which you wouldn't expect because it's like 
just yeah. a biker place, you know? Right, right, right. Wow. What's like a venue up there that you played? Ah, there is no, there is no steady venue. We've played in like um, a palm readers, <laughs> an antique store. Oh know? wow! Okay, cool. They don't, they wouldn't be able to sustain a club like selling beer, you know, no way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But just like how, you know, house shows and things like that. So really, wow! I would have never yeah. expected that. <laughs> yeah. Damn. All right, I'm gonna have to keep that in mind because I've, I've never, I've never heard of like anything like music necessarily related from Laconia, but uh, I'm always fascinated by like all the different, like small scenes in New England, um, which is like New, New Bedford. I really liked, you know, about New Bedford. I like we were on and, tour. <laughs> yeah, he <it> was <laughs> nice. coming from Boston playing in New Bedford. It was just like not that far away, but it was like a completely different scene. And I remember like six years ago, Glenn played at the, the Trap House. Uh, more Mike Mountain's old old uh, old spot. Um, did you play at the Trap House? I've played at the Trap House with a few different acts. Uh, you know, it didn't last long, yeah. but um, and it was you know sometimes you'd be like, hey, we got a gig tonight with a guy from with all people from far away with no locals yeah. last minute on a Monday and oh by the way it's not going to start till like maybe midnight oh wow Jesus. so so uh, it was tough getting people there sometimes for some of the really wilder avant-garde stuff but you know I, I, I pretty obviously the greatest greatest place to ever exist in New Bedford you know yeah yeah definitely definitely seemed that way I, I'll never forget it Mike Mountain Shout out to him. I remember there. I remember actually seeing you. There's videos of you, Eric, on YouTube. I think when Mike is playing or something, and he, he something went wrong or whatever, and then you're like yelling at him, and he's yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, we're trying. We're trying to fix the PA, and nobody can hear yeah. each other, and everyone's <laughs> drunk or whatever. Right. But what a great show that was. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It was, uh, it, when did you meet, uh, Mike Mountain? Well, boy, I think I met Mike around 1989, 1990. My wow. good friends, Claudio and Deb were friends with this young lady that was Mike's girlfriend. And we went up to, uh, UMass Dartmouth where Mike and I went to school. And uh, Mike was, I was a DJ there like, you know, 10, 15 years later, but Mike was a DJ at the time. So I met him there a few times hanging around at the station or whatever. But I, I, so I knew him a little bit for about five years, I think. And then I became really good friends with him probably about 25, 26 years ago or something. Wow. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we had Mike on before and I remember him talking about his days with his days at the radio station and um yeah was he i remember he talked about before seeing timothy leary and g gordon liddy at at the college i don't know if it was umass dartmouth do you remember that or were you there or anything i didn't i didn't go to that um but they had a they had a debate it was a a tour you know when when i was younger they he used to have these these sort of debating tours with like, uh, you know, really, really liberal, really conservative guy. It was like leftovers from the early 70s scene, I guess. Right. But I, I didn't go to that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of heads in New Bedford that I like, some of these like picnic lunch and Carl Simmons or whatever. You like, uh, like, did, have you? I guess I'd say, how long have you known some of you those? You fucked around folks, with like, them for a while, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine, Paul Souza, who's moving back, he lived in China for like 12 years and he's in Portugal now. I guess he's moving back in a couple of months. He's been a off and on Bailey's band member in the past. He was good friends with Paul Simmons. And that's how I met Carl 
around mm. 25, 27 years ago. Wow. And then picnic lunch. I just met the drummer like within the last year, but I've been friends with Devin and Mike, the bassist and guitar player of picnic lunch for like 25, 28 years. Wow. And uh, Devin was living in New York for a long time in Brooklyn. So yep. we would play shows out there with him and, and in Philly with him. It was wife's from, and then they'd, we'd play with them in Providence down here and, and stuff, you know? Yeah. But uh, they were, uh, Mike Mountain is living in Western Mass now. He has a baby. Right. And uh, um, I think he's hibernating, but when he's ready to pounce on the world, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So right now it's like picnic lunch. I'm kind of holding the fort down in New Bedford. Uh, we, yeah. There's some good dance down here, but like um, Camp and Tropic is is pretty wild. Um, they don't hardly play much. Uh, uh, my my friends Justin and Tyler are doing doing some wild stuff, a lot of improv stuff. This guy Trevor Vaughn's and like a million bands that are all great. Chris Evil and the Taints are always doing stuff. Laser Tooth are like a a magma kind of band. Um. But there's not a, so there's a lot of good bands down here, but there's not a lot of really um, underground avant-garde stuff beyond, uh, well maybe Laser Tooth with the Magma stuff and Picnic Lunch. There's a lot of good rock bands, you know. But the weirdos always leave. They go to Providence. They go to Boston. You know. Yeah. Where's your favorite? For whatever place to reasons, play down for a lot there? of reasons. In New England or in well, New Bedford? Because I, I don't know if in, I have in, one in New Bedford. Bedford. Yeah. I like uh, I, I like No Problemo in New Bedford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. But they only have, you know, shows sporadically. Once COVID gets, is over, I think they'll have some shows. But n- nothing too steady. Um, yeah, there's, no, there's never really been a steady venue venue with like a stage and lights or whatever in New Bedford that's like sustained very long, you know, because it's a metal town. So then they just have more like metal bands. and You know, we've got like a venue now that has like all the washed up 80s metal bands. Right. That, uh, we're probably never going to play at, you know. What's the but venue? We'll, it's called the Greasy Luck. Huh. Or the Vault of the Greasy Luck. So you're saying... And- I would say if we got a Food Masters Bailey's band bill there, they would, would <laughs> we'd clear the room. Yeah. <laughs> well, New Bedford, New Bedford's a funny town too because, like, you know, it's great with the internet now. You know, like in the past, you, I, I've done a lot of touring, and like in the '80s or whatever, you, you would, you would call on the phone long distance and, and, you know, people are working and they're having dinner and you're trying to talk to people on the phone. It's so much easier now. Just whenever you feel like answering my email, answer it, you know, and, and, the, and you can try, it's harder in smallest towns, of course, but to some degree, even if you like, you know, whatever, whatever you sound like magazine, Sparks, whatever you sound like, you might find something kind of compatible in a, in a medium to big city, you know? But back then we tour and it's like, all right, play on the fifth with like whatever and whatever, like, oh, yeah. and you'd play and like, it's be- it was great to like go to new towns and play, but, and I'm not saying that the bands were awful necessarily sometimes, but just a whole different thing, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, we, we don't fit with this, with this metal band or like whatever, you know? So it's, so it's cool now, but it's funny now because like, you know, we've played, uh, we played CBGB's nine times, Bailey's band. And, wow. you know, I've been able to book shows when we have empty nights. I booked a tour in Japan. Uh, in Temple of Ten, I didn't book the European tours, but we had a couple of days off and I was able to fill in some dates in Europe, you know, and I'm in my own small town. And I'm like, hey, hey, yeah, we played at CBGB's or whatever. And the guy's pretty much like, yeah, do, do any Bon Jovi covers, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. like what? I thought you were like a legit venue. Yeah, it's you know? crazy. So, but hey, you can't have everything. I, I try to 
pick my battles, you know. Do you really want to play with a Bon Jovi tribute band, you know, and have people throw bottles at you? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, yeah. Um, does it, yeah, it's weird, because, you know, I, I, I guess that they, maybe the, maybe they're just so used to the, the metal and the tribute bands and such that they, that I, I don't, I don't know, you know, because it seemed that that festival that Devin threw uh, a couple of years ago or so, um, October, 2019, where, it, uh, you know, a lot of people were coming out for all these kind of different sounds and, um, you know, kind of outside of what we were just saying, like the metal and tribute stuff. You think that was just because, like, it was more like a special, like, unique occasion, like getting all these non-traditional venues, or yes, you know, like, yes, that yeah. was that was great, but it, we couldn't we couldn't have that every month, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be sustainable. It was an anomaly, but it was right. pretty great, and I think we're ready to do another one. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, maybe yeah. maybe one or two a year. It's too bad too because like the university Michael and I went to one town over UMass Dartmouth. Uh, it's you know I don't know. You guys live in Boston, so it's like all right. That there's some major universities there, but it's not that small either. You mean there's about mm-hmm. about twelve thousand students there, and there's there's like no no scene there. Yeah. Mm. sometimes there'll be a cool band for like a year yeah sometimes there'll be a cool band for like a year that's like oh they're kind of like Sonic Youth and then like they all move into different towns you know right I guess do you you think like like a lot of people that came out for that festival you you think like I I guess uh, I mean like you know yeah maybe not to that extent but if maybe if there were somehow some other more like options that people would come out more frequently in, in New Bedford or, you know, if there were just like a, a more like steady venue. It's really, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. It's really hard to tell. I think, I think if you want to do, you know, a smaller city, if you want to have more adventurous and wild music and you're not worried about selling beer and stuff then you need to have it at like a an, an underground venue but new Bedford is always cracked down on on unlicensed things you know it's amazing the trap house lasted that long but um so you need someone to be like independently wealthy benefactor or uh or have it in maybe an art gallery so it's already has a function but then maybe the bands wouldn't really get paid, but they'd have a chance to play if they're on tour and they need they need a Monday night in New Bedford or something. It's hard. That seems like that's the... Uh, I can see why you're getting the fuck out of there a lot and checking out new spots. Um, I was wondering, how is it in New York City? How, how do you like playing down there? What's, what's, the, what's, the, uh, what's the call on that? I like it. I, I I've probably I've probably only played Manhattan about ten times in my life. I've probably only played the Bronx two or three times. I've probably only played Queens a couple of times. And you know, whatever reason, I probably played Brooklyn like two hundred times. Wow. So it's it's another thing with just the rent. It's like I think if I was a little bit older people would talk about a lot of the clubs in Manhattan, you know, a long time ago, but it's insanely expensive. So now if you have a club in Manhattan, it has to like literally be Blondie playing or something, you know? Yeah. And uh, they'd probably charge, you know, $10 a beer or something. Oh, uh, you know? yeah. yeah. $80 a pot or something. Yeah, they, we went to a show, uh, it was like the Gories and the Oblivions. It was, a, it was an awesome show. It was at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, and it was like ten bucks a beer, for like the, like like a cheap beer too. Even it was like like a like a Bud Light or something. It was like ten bucks. Like, like damn. <laughs> that was in Brooklyn, or no, not 
Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, Williamsburg's part of Brooklyn. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I was gonna Seems say, like all the hipsters um, who would be into Bailey's band. That's where they. That's where they hibernate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's why I played with uh in Mini Beast with uh with Perubu was at that venue. I think. Mm. Was it like pretty fancy? Pretty fancy yeah, place. That right? adds up. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I go through periods of my life where, like, in Temple Upon the Ten, you know, they didn't sell any records or whatever. But, I mean, they were, like, kind of well-respected and well-known. So people, I think, felt, felt bad for us or, <laughs> or something. So we would play, like, some pretty wild shows. But Bailey's band, we tend to not. And then with Mini Beasts, it was like, oh, we got to play some really cool stuff. You know, and it's just really weird that like you play like 50, 60 shows in a row in kids' basements and everybody's cool. Or you play like a venue and like people are like kind of indifferent. The sound man might be rude. I don't really drink much now anyway, but like no free drinks, no food or nothing. And then you play like we played the Sinclair opening for Wire and guys were like, hey, uh, you know, the stage was pretty high, you know. Like, oh, let, let us move your amps to you. I was like, ah, I can do it. You know, maybe I look old to you, but I can still do it. They're like, no, it's it's kind of a union thing. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> all right, forget it. You can move my amp then, you know? Yeah. And and being fed and there's like a shower there. And then oh, like, shit. and then you go back to uh, playing in a kid's cellar and sleeping on a couch that a thousand people have slept on and, Maybe there's rats. Maybe there's mice. You know, I don't know. What was your favorite part all, about the, the, glamorous, the, the glamorous life? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just, I don't know. It's it's nice to, uh, you know, I never wanted to, like, never worried about money or trying to, like, sound like something to fit into anything or whatever. But it's rewarding sometimes to just do what you want and still play for a good crowd. Like with, we went with Perubu for like three weeks. Wow. And uh, it's funny because, they're, you know, they're from Ohio. And I think the smallest crowd we played to was uh, – we didn't even play in Cleveland on that tour. We played, we played in Columbus. But – uh, the smallest crowd we played to with them was probably like 200 people, which for Bailey's fan, hello, is incredible, right? Damn, but, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, we played we played like Chicago, New York. We played like really big crowds, and it's like, wow, what kind of, what kind of a weird band? I mean, you know, I wasn't the engine of that band. It's Peter Prescott of Mission of Burma. It's like, that's kind of his band, you know? And we, we were kind of like sidemen, but sidemen having a blast, you know? It was just nice to... Uh, occasionally be treated really nice and play some like and play to like eight, 900 people sometimes after yeah. almost four, 40 years of, you know, playing to 10 people, 20 people, a lot, a lot of times, you know? Yeah, yeah. definitely. It, it was pretty wild. Like, do you feel like there was any, was it any different from your perspective as a performer? Like the, you know, how you perform, like, from that drastic difference in the amount of people in the audience? Uh, my eyesight's not that great. So it's weird. You just hope the people in the back can see you or the people in the middle can see you, but you can't really see them, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it, with, with them, like, sometimes I play, like, sometimes you play festivals and like people don't know who you are and you're lucky to be on it at like 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever with the, with the experience with many beast torn with Perubu was great because, you know, Peter was in mission of Burma off and on for 35 years. So there's sort of an expectation, uh, before we play that, uh, because it's Perubu and it's similar in some respect, a lot of the people, see it in whatever zine or whatever college radio, whatever, t whatever city they're in. So they kind of have an expectation, even if they didn't go on band camp or whatever on YouTube and hear what we sounded like, 
they have an idea of what we might be like, you know? And Peter has like fans all over the world. So that, that made it like a lot easier, you know, it's maybe, maybe too much pressure to set up to fail, you know? So that was, that was great, you know, and playing in front of a, you know, playing in front of like X, Y, or Z with eight, 900 people might be like, Oh, well, whatever. People just want to see this band, you know, but with a Uber audience, which is, you know, generally tends to be older now too. Like they, they want to hear something wild. So we, you know, we're hoping we could deliver and uh, we're going to have the response. Awesome. Yeah. It's good. It seems like a, it was a good pairing. It's funny because we played, <laughs> we played in, in New York at uh, Williamsburg Academy of Music or whatever that place was called. And um, this guy comes up to me after I'm done. And like, you know, my first thing is I like meeting people, you know, but my first thing is usually is I want to put my bass in the back, make sure I have all my cables or whatever, you know, wipe the sweat off and, and then go like whatever, hang out or something. And, uh, but this guy's like, Hey, you guys are great or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not like I hear that much in my life. So I was very happy to hear that. But I saw like the most beautiful girl I'd seen in my life or, or, or that day, maybe she was taking pictures of us. So I was like, well, this is my in, I'm going to get this girl's email, this woman's email, you know, and, uh, you know, it's hard to go up to a stranger, you know, but she was taking pictures of us. So I'm like, oh, this would be easy. So I was, I was going flirting with this beautiful lady. And then after, um, Peter's, Peter Prescott's girlfriend, my bandmate's girlfriend was like, Oh, you know, you were talking to Sean Lennon before. What was she talking to you about? And I was like, Oh, that's to that guy. I just blew that guy off to go talk to this pretty lady, you know? And then later on I saw him after and I tried to make off like, like I knew who he was the whole time when I did not. And I gave him like a copy of my book and a, a CD or two, but it blew my mind because, uh, Oh, I hope he doesn't hear this, <laughs> but it blew my mind because, you know, he's like, uh, he's very nice, you know? And he was like, Oh, you guys are great. Whatever. But he's, uh, I'm not a big guy, you know? And he's like, he maybe he's taller than me. Everybody is, but you know, He's very slight and unassuming, you know, and it seemed like he went to the show alone and he was, he waited for like an Uber later, you know, and I was like, man, that's pretty crazy because if my father was one of the most famous people in the history of the world and was murdered in this city and I'm not like a big guy, I probably wouldn't be waiting going to a show like this by myself, even though Brooklyn's kind of gentrified now, you know, yeah, true. Still, like, in the back of my mind, I'd always be wary of people, like, does this guy have a gun, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, it's funny. So, so the moral of the story is, and I'm always nice to everybody, don't get me wrong, but always be nice to people. Don't blow them off. Right. For a pretty lady. For a pretty <laughs> lady who, who you won't even go on a second date with anyway. Hey, but you that's never not know. important, though. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would have recognized uh, Sean Lennon either. Like, I know who he is, of course, but uh, off the top of my head. He just head, looked like I mean, everybody else. He just looked like yeah. everybody else in Brooklyn, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, yeah, man, it's still cool that uh, he reached out and was like, hey, that's was a good set and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Anyone um, ask for your autograph? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, that's kind of weird, but yeah. And I don't know why, because Peter was the famous guy. You know what I mean? I'm just the guy playing bass. You know? Uh, maybe, yeah. they were, maybe they were diehard club math fans. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, they had, maybe their glasses <laughs> were, were, were uh, broken. I don't know. <laughs> never know but uh you know i wanted to ask you it's uh, kind of a random question but i i read a review you did in the noise of uh for pajama slave dancers um did you see them back in the day in the, like, the 80s or i never saw them in the original one 
but I had, uh, I think it's called Cheap is Real or Cheap is Now or something. No, Cheap is Real. I had one of their records when I was mm. like a freshman or sophomore in high school that my college radio station used to play all the time. They would oh, play wow. uh, D-Freeze Walt, they'd play D-Freeze Walt Disney and Hobo Truck Driving Man. Yeah, they, yeah. they sort of like almost had like a couple of regional hits, you know? So yeah. I didn't see them till like years, years later, but I was a fan of them when I was like 15 years old. So it was, you know, that's so it's awesome. wild to interview them like 35 years later or something. Oh yeah. Right. It was an interview. Now that I'm remembering. Yeah. I did read that though. Yeah. Cause I had, I heard of them actually like recently, like when they were about like a year ago or so. And I, I yeah, I thought it was awesome. And uh, I found out it's like, Oh, they're, this legendary like uh new england band Massachusetts. Yeah, band. i always thought they were a boston band but i found out later they were more like western Amherst or something yeah. yeah yeah um and they put they still play actually yeah i think they took about 15 years off or something yeah but they, they, they're, they're playing again right now right i know steve i know steve westfield is in it but um i'm not sure if all the original guys are in it but most of them are. Yeah. Yeah. They put it. They put it. I haven't seen them, but uh, they, I guess I actually just heard of them like, during the pan- pandemic. I heard them on a radio show. Um, and uh, they played, I, but I was looking at like their Facebook. They played at the Midway, I think a few years ago in uh, Jamaica Plain Midway Cafe. But um, oh, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with that place. Yeah, yeah, you played there before. Yeah. Yes. You, how many times have you played there? I, I don't know. It's easier to tell places that you've played once and had like a really bad experience, or right. places that you've put were like so awesome. You're like, oh, because everybody knows it. Like, oh, well, I played this one or that one. So it's hard to tell, because uh, a lot of the gigs have just been regular local bands on a Wednesday night, you know? So I don't know, but probably at least 30. Wow. Yeah. A, a lot. I feel like, I don't know if it goes out of business or just, maybe it just doesn't advertise for a while, but it just seems to go, get really, I mean, it's under the radar anyway, but get really under the radar for a while. Or maybe like my scenes don't play there for a while and then they have a different booker or something. Yeah. But it's just, it's just always there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I said you played a uh, Jeannie Johnston in Jamaica Plain as well. As a... That's a pretty fun place. It's a little crowd. It's funny because it's a little crowded every time we play there. Like uh, the glasses fall. You know, they they hang the wine stem glasses above over your head sometimes. Yeah, over the bartender's head to to save space. And every time we play there, I'm like, I don't think us, but other bands are still loud, but they, they rattle off. And it's like the same Bob back. We've been we like three times in a row. He always has bottles, uh, glasses right. breaking over his head. And yeah. I felt bad for him. I mean, I, la- I laughed, of course, but I always felt bad for him. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. if the, It's funny. I hadn't thought of that. I don't know if they're going to do shows there anymore. Yeah. And I hope they do because the people are real nice. But it's funny because one of my favorite places to play is right next door to there. Oh, you know, Deep thought. Thoughts Records. Yeah, you yeah, know, totally. You know, Nick is great. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Nick, Nick Williams, you know. Shout out to Nick Williams and the yeah, Flaming Dragons of Middle Earth. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, do you ever, do you play with them before, the Flame Dragons of Middle Earth? We played a few shows with them uh, around, uh, you know, Boston, Providence, I think New Bedford. Uh, it was tricky because we needed to place a, a you need to play the place that had a wheelchair ramp or whatever, right. or like accessibility for the singer, for Danny, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, there was, there was so fun and I was, they, I was, they had a rotating cast and I was, I was talking about joining the band, but I was like, Oh, they, they practice pretty far away, but they're like, well, if you just kind of play with us once, you don't have to like practice anymore just to show. Oh, really? So I was like, so I was, th- I was like, all right, I, I think I'll join this band if you guys want me to. And then I think Danny got sick. Uh, he'd been sick all his life, I guess. 
Yeah. And, and he passed. So I was like, oh, I wish I could have played with them. They were so fun. Such great guys, you know, and ladies. So many yeah. people in the band, I don't know all their names, you know. What a great revolving cast that was. What's great about it is everybody in the band thought we're like, you know, we're kind of like this avant-garde, maybe performance piece, you know. But the singer, he really thought he was like singing with like Deals, Ronnie James Deals back in band or something. He really like thought he was in a metal band. And like, <laughs> he wasn't. It was really weird. Right. I saw them do a Gigi Allen cover. <laughs> oh, I, I don't remember was, them doing that. Yeah, I think it was like Eat My Diarrhea or something like that or one of those. Huh. Uh, but they were... It was very, they were very, they were very enthusiastic, and Danny was really uh, excited. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, one of the sweet, sweetest. Uh, I mean, I love Nick Williams too. He's he's sweet, but you know, Danny Mady, one of the sweetest human beings to live. You know, in history. So sad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to ask you about Heroin's Rainbow. Your is it so? It's an autobiography, or is it? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, I, re- I read that yeah. um, a couple years ago, and um, uh, yeah, awesome book. And yeah, Glenn, Thank I remember you. Glenn read it. Too. Yeah, we both really enjoyed it. Um, and it, it, it kind of felt like. Uh, almost like a high school teen kind of thing, but it was also like this sort of darker element to it. And then I like the fact that it was also so much of like new Bedford. It's as uh, the town really is like just this is another character, you know, amongst it's all the, the main, other. It's, I would say new Bedford is probably the main character in the book. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but I would say, uh, even though it's mine, but I would say for good or bad, it is like the most New Bedfordy book ever written. <laughs> there haven't been a lot, but uh, whenever there's been one, I've always been able to get a copy, you know, all the yeah. books that have been set here or like Moby Dick, there's only like eight pages that are set here, you know, but um, yeah, for better or worse, it's a, it's a love letter to New Bedford. When did you write it, Eric? Uh, I started writing it on November 22nd, 2002, the day of my good friend, Danny, who did, uh, but it took me, uh, nine, <laughs> took me nine years to write. I mean, I basically wrote it over the course of like five days, my friend's, uh, wake and funeral it's around five days, kind of a stream of consciousness thing. But wow. then uh, I couldn't get anyone to put it out for like nine years. So in that time, I kind of expanded it a little bit. It's, you know, kind of a serious, it's two chapters about two of my friends that were addicts and that, mm-hmm. that both OD'd and died. But in, in that time, I was able to lighten it up with a few amusing anecdotes. Just like just whatever the weirdest, some of the weirdest stories I've heard in my life kind of thrown in there. So I was able to like, uh, you know, it went from like 500 pages to like 175. So I, I got out, cut out a lot of the fat and added some weird, some weird things that might not have a lot to do with the story, but I was like, I might only do one book in my life. So I got to put in this story about the pocket pussy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> That's what I love about it. It's as, it really does feel like this collection of just all these great, like high school youth, whatever stories, you know, just like these, you feel like you're hanging out with all these people. Um, well, well, thank you. Yeah, of course. I one thing I I um I haven't I used I haven't written anything in a while, but I used to write, and uh, I kind of like to always have the idea of like if you wrote just like a line, like you know, like if someone could like open up a book or or whatever, you know, um, cause I haven't written any books, but like if you would scroll down, it would say on a, you know, computer screen and just look at any random line and it could be a good, and it'd be a great line. 
uh, I kind of feel that way with like heroin's rainbow rainbow that you, you I could just pick it up like I just did just now and just read something and it was that it was like self-contained line even though it's still tied in with others the others the whole story it could be like that line is entertaining and just makes me want to read the rest of the book I don't really get that as much with a lot of other books well I really appreciate it that's really nice you know and like I said it I did have nine years to let that kind of grow and become the final product so it makes me a little nervous I'd, I'd, I'd always wanted to do a book you know and now I'm kind of working on two things at once and I'm like oh I should I should read, read it 30 times before I let other people read it because I'm my, my own worst critic you know yeah so I'm working on uh, a collection of you know poetry but mostly it's lyrics of songs I've done the last 30, 38 years but uh, you know, some poetry that's a few that aren't, aren't songs at all. And that'll be called Talking Like a Man with a Paper Asshole, which <laughs> is a saying that my father, he's 87, he's still around, uh, said, has said my entire life. And that's just a great mystery to me because who knows what that really means. But it's just so new bed for me that, that, um, that that's that's what I want to do, and then so it's, it was hard to write a book, you know, and be and be focused beginning to end. So so the other one I'm working on is just shorter stories that I might try to uh, fit together. And a lot of people ask me when the book came out, they're like, you know, I like your book, or whatever, but there's always a but, you know. They're like you didn't really talk about you've been in bands your whole life, and you didn't really talk about bands that much. You talk about Providence, a little Boston. And I was like, well, I guess that's a different book. This was, uh, they say a lot of people, you know, when you don't know what to write, write what you know, or mm-hmm. write about your tra- childhood. And and I wrote about my, you know, growing up, early college years, high school, and my neighborhood, you know. So rock and roll, that'll be a very long, long book <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm scared to, to, to begin. But that'll to write about be in the rock future. And roll, but- just, you know, bands I've been in last. Okay, yeah, yeah. Bands I've seen, you know, that's a whole different thing. Mm. Definitely. So I'm, I'm taking the summer off, so I'm hoping to uh, finish both of those this summer. But we'll see. We'll see. I get distracted. Yeah. Yeah, I'm we all Excited to get back into the uh, the show game, huh? Yeah. Oh, I'm very excited. Uh, I, I Since COVID began, I saw one show last October. I saw a show outdoors with masks on. I saw my old band, Mini Beast, play last October. And, oh, and then yeah. Two weeks ago, and then two weeks ago and last week, I went to two shows uh, at dusk in Providence. I saw, um, I saw Loud Neighbors, friends of mine, and I saw this band called Gamma Rage which has uh, the bass player and one of the keyboard players of Bailey's band, an old guitar player who I played with for 15 years and bad motherfucker. Right. Uh, Adam Archie from Ollysville Sound System that played some shows in Bailey's band. And, uh, and then the singer, she sang on one song on our album, on our upcoming album. So it was weird. <laughs> it was weird watching this band. I was like, wow, it's, it's like seeing the Bailey's band only you know, better because I'm not in it, you know? I can just sit down, kick my feet up and watch these guys. This is, these guys are great. So those are, so I've been to a couple of shows, but I haven't really played yet. We're gonna, we're playing June 6th um, at dusk with Picnic Lunch very and Loud Neighbors. So very excited about that. And you know, they're gonna start coming fast and furious now because I guess all of a sudden, everybody will be booking now, so. Yeah, true. Floodgates have opened. Yeah, so um, so I've got Bailey's band. Um, I've got a new improv uh, trio with my friend Mike Folly from Brain Farm and my friend Ed McCumber, who I played with for about four years in Blind Rhino. That's called the Psychedelic Jazz Trio. Not really jazzy, but it's pretty psychedelic. It's just we're going to be just improv, no songs. We have a show booked in a few weeks. 
cool. um, at dusk. So we got that. And then I have a new band called Bat Bomb with Ellie uh, Vienna, the singer of Vienna Graham, Jamie Sleaze, Jamie Wallace from uh, the Midnight Creeps and the Sleazies, and Terry Linehan, who was in, uh, I think Hope Anchor is still a band. He was in the Frustrators with, uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name, Mike Durant or something, the bass player of Green Day, and he was like the extra touring yeah. guitar player of Green Day too. So he's, there's, there's quite an interesting combination. So it's like, kind of kind of a new wave punk band but so we'll probably stop playing out in september so that'll be fun keep yourself busy yeah and you know i'll I'll be doing a lot of solo noise shows and stuff too i've got four mood synthesizers and a theremin and like loop pedals for the vocals so sometimes the band doesn't want to play on a tuesday in boston or amherst or worcester so like all right i'll just Pack up all the all the synthesizers and the pedals, and we'll see what we can do. So it's exciting to get back into. I'm still a little wary. Like, I think maybe we should have worn a mask for like another month or two, and and then said, okay, you can guys can go go buck wild now because, you know, how many people don't have their shots? Still 25 percent. That's a pretty significant number of people. You know. So I don't know what's going to happen, but everybody's hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah, the I best. think it'll be all right. Um, well, I hope so, but we'll yeah, see. we'll see. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's especially I think. Well, so what the the current regulations are that if you're outside, you don't need the mask. But if you're indoors you're fully vaccinated then you don't need the mask or that's starting a couple of days or so or a few days. So yeah, Saturday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense if people are fully vaccinated. So, um, but it's, it's, like, yeah, but- it, it's going to be gradual. You know, it, ha- it has been, I feel like even with, we said the floodgates, but I mean, it seems to be little things here and there and, you know, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, like you said, we'll, we'll see what happens. And we're hoping for the best. So, yeah, we're just trying to we're just trying to play a few shows. I thought it was going to work out with our record coming out, but our record probably actually come out to around Halloween or Thanksgiving. But we're having another vinyl coming out. Oh wow! Okay. Um, um, it's going to be. It's it's for the House of Watts label. It's okay. two brothers. Yeah. My friend Ethan Weiss and his brother. So one lives in, in New Bedford and one lives in Montana and they have a label and they have like uh, his band Laser Tooth is on it. Like I said, they're kind of like magma, you know, very synthy. And then uh, they're going to they're gonna put out our record on vinyl. Madonna lives in my basement. So this was, uh, so COVID hit. It's like, all right, we can't play for a while. We took a couple, we only took like two months off, you know, and then we, then we, maybe three months and we started practicing with master john you know yeah and it was like well we ain't gonna play shows for a while we don't really have too many new songs but maybe we should just record so we, we started working on some new stuff too you know so um we were able to record with not everyone in this room at the same time or whatever and we were able to uh actually record two records but we're gonna put out put out um photosynthesis on House of Watts around Thanksgiving. And then we have another record, which we're finishing up called Madonna Lives in My Basement. Because of the COVID, uh, we were able to get some cool guest stars to play on it. I had, uh, so in, in Mini Beast, we played, I played about five or six shows with Brendan Canty of Fugazi. Um, he's in Mesesthetics with a bit with Joe Lally from Fugazi and this amazing guitar player. And um, we played it with another band he was in. So I don't, you know, I'm not really friends with him or anything. That would be kind of a stretch, but I know him slightly and he's a wonderful man. So I talked to him about uh, recording him producing us in DC. And then COVID hit is like, well, we're not even leaving the state, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so then, we, so then we started recording our record and uh, you know, I've not always 
you know, I'm not very smart, let's say, you know. So we already did the drum track for our record. And I was like, nobody's touring. Maybe we can get Brendan Canty to play on our record a couple of songs or something. So I asked him and he, he ended up playing on it, but it was weird. He, you know, he's been, he, he's been playing longer than me, you know, and he's done a lot of great things. But it's amazing. It's funny because he said, I've never done anything like this because, you know, the drums are always recorded first, you know, yeah. or with the other instruments live. So the music was already recorded. And then we sent him the tracks and he drummed over the drums we had. And we, we got rid of the drums that we had on those two songs, you know? And he's like, well, that's, that was the first. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm glad, you know, whether it's good or bad is, you know, up to other people, right? But I'm glad, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's something that Brendan Canty's never done. So we have two songs that have Brendan Canty on drums. And they also have Makoto on guitar from Acid Mother's Temple. And then we got um, Dana Cawley from uh, Morphine to play sax on one song. And because I'm old, this is a big deal to me. But uh, I also got John Drumbo French to guitar on a song. He played drums and guitar in Captain Beefheart for years and years. Oh, wow. Damn. <laughs> so, uh, so like I said, I don't know if this record is good or bad or whatever. It's up to other people, but... It certainly, I think, might get some people's attention if we put like a sticker on it. Oh, <laughs> guest stars, blah, 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 from Fugazi, Captain Beefheart, Morphine and Acid Mother's Temple. I know I'm prejudiced because that's the kind of music I like. But if I was at Deep Thoughts Records or Armageddon Records or some record store and I'm flipping through and I saw guest stars from these bands, I'd be like, I think I'm going to buy this record. Mm. You know? So. So this could be the biggest Bailey's band seller of ever. The this the biggest seller we've had is about seven copies, I think, to my mom. So if we can sell eight copies of this, we'd be doing great. Damn, yeah. So COVID was a horrible time, but oddly enough, because people were like, I guess I these I guess these guys were bored. They were so nice to play on our record, you know. Um awesome. The silver lining is like, wow, we got some people to play on our record that during normal times, you would have to think, in all fairness, would never, ever, ever, ever play on a Bailey's Band record. There's just no way. They'd be busy playing with band, bands that make money or, you know, playing in front of people or whatever, you know. So, so it's yeah. a very, we, we kind of really lucked out with that, you know. I had known some of them from playing with Peter or whatever. And some of them I'd met to playing with Temple of One to Ten. So, but it's not like I was really friends with any of these guys, more acquaintances, you know? Hello? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's, that is, sounds like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, I think we got real lucky because I would have been happy to have one of them on a record. And then we have the four of them, so it's pretty great. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think a similar thing with this podcast, I've noticed where it's like the silver lining with the pandemic is, is that, you know, a lot of people have more time, have had more time or not, you know, like you said, otherwise they'd be on tour or something. Or even like, Having you on right now, like a lot of times you you would be playing a show during the week, so it made it easier for us to to do this podcast and everything. So it's in that regard been like a blessing that everyone's been able to been around to do stuff. Um, well, I would always make time for you guys, but um, yeah, you know, I know, oh, I know, yeah, no. it'd be, it might be harder for other people, you know. Yeah, we know we appreciate that too. We really do appreciate all your enthusiasm yeah, generally. Like, regard to the podcast, you know, I appreciate that you giving us shout outs and everything, and and if your love for the food master Johnny and the food masters is really um, humbling, and just uh, we we definitely uh, grateful for that. Well, I don't want to talk too much about wrestling. 
but there was a <laughs> wise man from Newburyport, Massachusetts, named John Cena, <laughs> who is now known as a who is now known as an Academy Award winning actor, I guess. But anyway, he started as a wrestler, and his one of his big sayings was, "Real recognizes real." So, mm. you know, right back at you. Ultimately, oh, thank God. Thank you, Damn. Mom. Uh, I think, yeah, of course, I don't know what that means, but it, it looks good on the t-shirt. <laughs> but I yeah, love you guys, you know. Hell yeah! Do you have any um in all your? Because I think we're we're getting low on the time. Do you have? I say uh, it might be a good way to wrap up, but yeah, hold on. exactly. Say it, well, I was gonna say, do you um, you know, in all of your life, in all of your life, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned? <laughs> about life, about music. I just about, be nice to every, be nice to everybody all the time. Mm, that's a good be one. Be nice to everybody all the time. That's true. My mother used to say that. That's true, because if someone might be fucking up, you know, might be kicking the shit out of you or whatever else, it's still like, if you're being nice to them, they might not do that, you know? Yeah, my mother used to say that. Of course, I take after my dad, but that's not important <laughs> now. The important, the important thing is the message. Right, the medium man. is the message. All right. It is. Well, cool. we, we appreciate it, Eric and... Damn, we can't wait to rock well, out with you soon. Yeah, I think we will. I can't wait. You know, maybe we'll play some house shows in Boston, and yeah. then we'll play some dingy, dingy clubs too. We'll we'll, we'll do everything in between. Yeah, hell yeah. Thanks, thanks so much, and yeah, I can't wait. Thank you, guys, Chris, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. We'll see you really soon. Of course, hell Bye, yeah, Derek.